Two filmmaking cinephiles dedicated to the art of film, the taste of the beverage, and everything in between. And talking a whole lot of shit about movies. And like I said, we, we love going to movies, we're good friends, and uh, since we met back in film school back in uh, 2008. In the new school. In the new school. Shout out to new school folks. Um, I hope y'all got jobs. We have, a, <laughs> we have a love for everything film, we have a love for everything bourbon, and a love for everything beer. So uh, we're going to always give you our opinions, our thoughts, our views. Off-the-cuff conversation. And so much more. So yes. stay tuned and uh, keep listening. So today we're going to talk about our best of 2016. So we each have several films that we want to talk about, five to be exact from each one of us. Um, mine from the start, we'll be talking about Moonlight, The Witch, 10 Cloverfield Lane, Don't Breathe, and Fences. Vaughn, what you're doing? I'm going to be talking about Moonlight also, Fences, Lion, Hush, and Deadpool. Absolutely. That sounds great. And so what I think was really important in terms of our sort of beer and bourbon section was that since it was the best of, we decided we were going to choose a celebratory drink. So sort of like the champagne of beers in a way, for me anyway, not Miller, but (laughs) the champagne of beers in a way. So what I was saying is what I like to drink is Paulina, uh, Hefeweizen, which is very classic. But for me, it's hard to find. Um, it's definitely hard to find on tap. You got to go to a German bar, whatever. What I like is I use it sparingly, and I like it as a celebratory drink. So I went and found some. So that's what I'm drinking today. Nice. Well, I'm drinking bullet bourbon. I like Kentucky bourbon. I'm a bourbon enthusiast, and I wanted to celebrate with Bullet because that's one of my favorites, and why not celebrate one of the best? Absolutely. So what we're doing is we're going to talk about our individual films and what we like, and then there'll be sporadic individual improv conversation. So get ready. ready. And just to let you know, 2016 was a hard year for movies. There wasn't a lot to choose from as far as the great things, but there were some standouts, and I think we're, we're going to touch on those a little bit. Yeah, we definitely have some personal preferences. Um, so let's start. Let's do it, Tawana. All right, let's do it. So, okay, so one of my first, and I think everybody, well, not everyone, but majority of the people's favorites was Moonlight, of course, the Oscar winner. Very, very good film, directed by Barry Jenkins. You know, in my opinion, it is a remarkable and brilliantly crafted film that sort of looks at the lives of rarely seen on film. And from the immersive storytelling to the intense performances to the sort of moon tone setting music, the film is truly an experience to behold. And I've actually seen it twice, and I still believe in everything I've seen about this film. 
You know, I think it reaches inside of you and sort of pulls at your heartstrings. And I think it brings a sense of humanity to a culture and to our communities that have not seen for some time. I think at times, Moonlight turns environments into characters, thus making space and time exist as one, i.e. the beach scenes, the car rides, the scenes in the diner. I think all these are really important. Uh, also, I think, you know, Barry adds a sense of isolation is also a theme in both of his characters, i.e., you know, Juan the drug dealer, Paula the mom, Chiron, Kevin the best friend slash, I won't tell you because you haven't seen the film. Maybe. <laughs> and, you know, by proxy, the audience becomes isolated as well since the film is so immersive. Um, another thing I think is really interesting about Moonlight is its imagery. It's also very important to Jenkins. Um, as is the emotion slash mood that it sort of promotes in others. Uh, like I said, it becomes a character and everyone just sort of sort of acclimates to the time in which they're viewing. Well, you know what I think is interesting about it, because it's also one of my best does for uh, 2016, um, is that it's a coming-of-age story. And everybody can relate to a coming-of-age story. It's We've seen them time and time again. But this journey was rare for me because I rarely ever see a black male coming-of-age story. And sure, the character's... The character's gay, but I don't even think his homosexuality has anything to do with the story and how it lays out no. as far as the journey of the character. I think it's one element, yes, but I think the fact that we're actually seeing an African-American male on the screen and the tropes that we normally see when when that kind of character is represented is usually about drugs and crime and family drama and all of that. And yes, there is an element of that because it's, he's dealing with a, a tough home life, being raised by a single mom, and she's a, a drug addict. And, you know, but there is so many elements there of his own personal journey, and we rarely ever see that on the screen. Yeah, I think that one of the, I agree with you, actually. One of the things I really like about Moonlight is that it's definitely a hero's journey. You know, everyone has this journey. Everyone has a journey, let's say. Uh, it could be, like we were saying before, it could be 40 years in the past. It could be 40 years in the future. It could be right now. You know, everyone has this sort of journey they want to take. And even though Sharon has a particular journey, you know, some of us may acclimate a little more or, or identify really, I shouldn't say acclimate. Some of us can identify a little more with Chiron and what he was going through and where he was going. But ultimately, whether Chiron was worrying about being gay, he was also poor. <laughs> he was also black in America. He, he had a lot of issues. He had a crackhead mom. You know, he had a lot of issues that a lot of people, regardless of their ethnicity, really felt from this character. Right. And it was, it was a heartfelt telling because the dialogue and the conversations of between the characters was always very genuine. It was always very real. For sure. It was poignant in the fact that a lot of kids today are dealing with the same Absolutely. conflicts in their lives. And I think that the film really portrayed that in a, in a beautiful way because it was beautifully shot. There were these all these long takes and there was mm -hmm. a this feeling that you were in the environment along with the character. Oh, so I think that that's what really set the tone, and it made us feel comfortable. And yes, we kind of had a bigger advantage because we actually saw... Right. One of my first times seeing the film was with the director. Right. So, and we Tawana went, was 
Tawana and I were together. So right. it was just to sit there and to hear his journey in making the film with his best friend, right. uh, Terrell McCraney, who was the actual playwright who wrote the original play right. that the movie's based on, just to hear the backstory about that and them growing up together right, exactly. in Miami, Florida, you know, basically, which is a small town when you think of the community because everything about Miami isn't what you see, beaches and glitz and, right, right, and right. rich folks. There right. are actually black people who live in Miami who aren't living as well. Right, so right. I think that they captured a, a time period and, and a feeling, you know, that is very rarely seen on screen. Right. I just think that also I agree with you in saying how we have I felt like honestly I had this little personal thing about Moonlight from the moment we saw it I'd heard about it and I knew about Barry's work before but you know he wasn't really on my radar until Moonlight and I saw the trailer for this and I'm like oh it's interesting and we ever felt we have a friend who uh invited us to a screening um you know it was PGA screening or whatever and we sat around and we we watched the film which was great and then, like you said, there was this whole story afterward about how his producer was saying, you know, you hadn't written in so long. What are we doing? Let's do something else. And it just so happens that the cinematographer of Moonlight was her husband. And they were film friends. And uh, they went to film school together. And, you know, their story, you know, sort of touched us because it was like our similar relationship to what we have. You know, we went to film school together. Right. We always work on projects together. Right. I always am the one motivating you right. to Dragging get off your me. ass and let's let's shoot something. Dragging me. So I think that that's kind of where <laughs> it, it plays in, in exactly into our personal lives. But it was just it was a, a beautifully told story, and I, I'm so glad that. One, I'm glad that it won so many awards, including Best Picture. Right. But I'm glad that people are seeing it and and experiencing it for themselves. And it's, it's gotten a, a broader reach now, and it's going to be released on DVD soon. So It's already if on not Amazon already. Prime. So it's out there for yeah. people to see if you're not catching it in the theater. Yeah, And I, definitely. I definitely recommend that you see it. Highly recommend. I just feel like this. It means nothing. I don't know Barry. But I feel like I was always rooting for him to, like, sort of make this sort of, like, hero's journey. This could have been any, a story about anyone. This is a story about you but not about you sort of thing, which is what, one of the things he said. He's such a nice guy to speak to him. He seems so genuine. And I, I can't help but say, like, I think that that's how this movie came off because it was coming from a genuine person. And they all were just sort of, like, really trying to make this film what it was. And, you know, the whole, I felt like their whole environment, their whole way of working was to bring people into their story and to, like, really go on a little bit more about how immersive it was. It's just like he tells the story about how they shot that scene in which Juan is teaching young Chiron, which was, I can't remember his name, was Shy? Each each one had a different name, like oldest oldest one was black. Well, at that point, he was little. He was but little. That, he was little, right. So he was, he was little called during little. that part. He was called little. So, right. So, then there was a whole thing about how there was a, the scene. Okay, the scene in which Juan is teaching little, basically, to swim in the ocean. And the ocean is massive, and it's filling the screen, and we're in the water with them. And it's just water and them sort of swimming around learning to swim, Charon, basically. And... Like, oh, that's very thematic and that's very cool. But really, you know, backstory, it was a hurricane coming 
and they had to shoot this shoot this scene in like an hour or something before like the whole world crashed in. And the little boy didn't really know how to swim, so he was actually right. learning. Right. So Ali was like teaching him to actually swim at the time. So it was just funny how it just like these little intimate parts of this film just sort of like really sort of creep in and 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 sit under your skin. Yeah, and and for one thing, I think that by him dividing the film into three parts and being represented by three different actors, I think it spoke to the fact that I think for everyone's lives growing up, we all have different periods in our lives that stand out and that make a big difference in in who we become as an adult. And I think that he was able to capture that and and so strong and so well-written and so well-acted by his, his troupe and the fact that they captured those moments that were pivotal that carried throughout the whole film and, and we ended in a in a great note and for for it to be a film about gay characters, which traditionally we always see a tragic end. Tragic. And there's always some drama. Sad queen oh, spinning in pumps. Somebody has to die. Killing herself at the end. You know, you have to be punished. We can't be happy. Right. So I think that <laughs> This must die in this Mildred Pierce sort of way. How the, dare you step outside? Right. The fact that it ended on a note where we don't know where it's going to go. Right. You know, we, we don't know where it's going to go. So I think that that was great to see. And, and then once again, I have to say, to see a story about a black man being told and he doesn't end up in jail or end up dead. Yeah. That just speaks to me. In a, in a millions of ways, and no, I don't. I can't relate to the story from his social economic background. But I grew up in the South, so I understand what it is to be in those smaller towns and living in those right. environments where you know you're just kind of going through your life and living your day day to day. So I think that he did a great job with that. And so, what's your next film, Tawana? Uh, my next film is The Witch. So the witch not one of my favorites, but it was one of hers. Was not one of my favorites. I gotta be honest, was not one of my favorites. I totally saw this movie. Should I say with a now X? But anyway, I saw just, this movie. You saw the movie. I saw this movie, and actually, she wanted to see this movie, and um, I was not about it. But I said I'd go, so I went, and we both were unhappy, and I can remember defending my unhappiness to tilt about this. And just saying, I can take away this and I can take away that, but everything else. But then I thought about it. And, you know, Robert Eggers did a good job. You know, because basically it's the story of a family in the 1630s in New England um, that's basically torn apart by the forces of witchcraft, black magic, possession. And, you know, the, all this... straight up ignorance about what the world is. <laughs> right. And, and you know, well, we... they, were, they were steeped in their own religious beliefs and right. all of that. So the father basically, you know, left this sort of insular community and moved them into the woods. And so, you know, I, like I said, I wasn't a film... I wasn't a fan of the film at first at all. The pace really killed it for me. But the acting, the cinematography, and the sound stayed in the back of my mind. And... That was I thought it was it was very thought provoking as it was visually stunning, um, very dark, very mystical. I just thought that the witch delivered a sense of creepy dreadfulness that was very difficult to shake long after I had seen it. So what's your next one? Well, since we're talking about horror, I got to talk about Hush. Oh. Now, Hush was a film that was released on um, Netflix back in April. 
of uh, 2016. And it was one of the most amazing films that I've ever seen. And I'm so glad that first-time director Mike Flanagan got to do this film because he did three films in uh, 2016. Mm. And um, that was one that he co-wrote with his wife who actually starred in the film. As the deaf woman. Yeah, she was the deaf woman in the film. And it's her story. You know, she's a deaf character Mm -hmm. and she's a writer and she's out in the woods. She's just writing and she's just experiencing, you know, she's just there, you know, doing her work and living her life day to day. And we get, there was such a a sound experiment in the film because we were able to hear her life in the fact that there was a lot of absences of sound and then they did this trick where we were hearing the sound but it was clear that she wasn't hearing it. So the the opening scene was literally her cooking in the kitchen. So we heard her chopping onions and doing all these things that we take for granted but the fact that because that's how we learned to, we got the reveal that she was deaf. Yes. You know, that she wasn't hearing it. And there was this inner monologue that actually was not her. Yeah. It was her mother. It was her mother, yeah. So it was, a, it was a weird. Yeah, she said she heard in her mother's voice. Right. Which is how she So I thought sound. that was interesting. And, you know, and very rarely, once again, you rarely see people with disabilities represented on the screen. And as a person who's in a wheelchair, myself, to see that on the screen was impressive to me. And just to see her, she wasn't a victim throughout right. this tale. She wasn't a victim. Even though there was a, a killer stalking her. And it had all the usual tropes. All the usual. Woman in the woods, killer outside. You know, he's in a mask. He's got a weapon. What's going to happen to her next? Right. But the story totally flips. And she becomes a heroine. She's not the victim. Never, yeah. And... She controls her destiny. And I think that this was one of the best films I've ever seen. And I traditionally am not a horror freak, but, and I hate slasher. But this was a horror killer thriller. Kind of movies. But I like the fact that they kept us on the edge of our seat. We did oh, not know what was going to happen next. Not at all. And the way the killer was literally killing everybody around her. Right. But she ends up, you know, getting through some kind of way. You got to check this out. It's on Netflix. I, I, I oh, yeah. highly recommend it. Highly recommend it. I do, too. I mean, it wasn't part of my best of because I had so many and I had to choose. But um, even though it was sort of a slow year for me, still, I, I agree with you. It's, it's another film that has this immersive sense. Like, you're in it. The sound, the music, all of that. So, yeah, that was a good one as well. And, you know, he also did Ouija... You know, Origin of Evil, which is oh, that, yeah, we did. We, which we also yeah, we saw, did. which was a which great film. Was better than the first. Yeah, and because he, he just took over the genre, he, he took he, over he just, it. Yeah, he, he made it his own. And also, kids are creepy. Right, but you know, it's always <laughs> good. And it was almost a period piece because it was set in like it in the 70s? late 70s or something. Very so 70s. Yeah. I think that this guy has a lot to do, and his wife Kate Siegel, she. I see her doing some great things, too, eventually. So I, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what they're going to do next. Yeah, absolutely what they're going to do next. So my next film is 10 Cloverfield Lane. Um, Hated it. <laughs> it was a sequel. Yes. He didn't like it either, Alex. Our, uh, Alex, our sound, our sound guy, hated, guy it hated it, too. Okay, <laughs> I'll tell you why I have to defend this film constantly. Constantly. It was a sequel to, uh, oh, how could I forget Cloverfield. Cloverfield, hello. The sequel to Cloverfield, which was several years ago. This monsters taking over New York. It was very found footage. Uh, running all over yeah. the city. Trying very to save Blair people. Witch in New very York. Very Blair Witch in New York. Uh, I thought it 
was cool. It was fun. It was interesting. This one I like. Okay, so I'll tell you why I like it. Ten Cloverfield Lane. It's it's in this suspense film. Mary Elizabeth Winstead finds herself locked in an underground bunker with an unhinged John Goodman. The dynamics between them alone can sustain a film itself to me. <laughs> but then things go and get extra freaky in the final stretch. I thought Ten Cloverfield Lane was very inter- very entertaining. Excuse me. Uh, total blend of uh, psychological thriller, little. Twilight Zone-esque and straight-up science fiction holds on especially well through repeat viewings. I feel like every time I've watched it, I'm finding another little clever nugget that helps to heap up the suspense. And what would one of those clever nuggets be? What could that have been? <laughs> there were so many, though. The whole please, okay. please help me. Okay. The whole thing where we thought, like... I don't give away too much. But anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, This is a spoiler. Okay, so, you know, the whole time we're trying to figure out, is he killing her? Is he a mass murderer? Is he lying? Is there really, like, some sort of alien thing outside that we have to be super afraid of? Who the hell is he? Who the hell is this other guy that he saved and helped? How come we have to watch another woman die? It was all these things. It was so back and forth. And then there were all these little, like, spots where you could see that she was going to be this sort of, like, heroine. Mm Mm-hmm. Which was really interesting to me because I just like ass kicking women. But, you know, I just thought it had all these nice little like nuggets. I think when you first watch it, you're sort of like, ooh. But I think people got caught up with the ending and was like, that sucked. That the ending part just sucked for them. Okay. Because of that. So you recommend this? You want people to watch it some kind of way? Highly recommend it. Okay. Well, if you got a <laughs> Sunday evening and you have nothing else to do, <laughs> jump, jump all the way in. Jump all the way in. Start with Cloverfield. <laughs> okay, what's your next one? Um, My next one is Don't Breathe. I believe we share this one. Mm-hmm. Don't Breathe. Did we see this together? We actually saw it together. We it's did. not on my best of list, but it. Oh, it's you not. can talk about it. We're going to okay. both share it. But we both shared We both saw I thought it was one of, the best, one of my best of the year because there was a surprisingly good horror slash a little thriller. Um, easily the best... One of the best wide release, I think, horror movie of the year. Because we had no idea what we were in store of. Don't Breathe benefits from a familiar story. Yes, it's it's another home invasion story, you know, that's sort of punched up with a handful of genre subversions and an overall sense of this moody claustrophobia, which 10 Cloverfield Lane has, by the way. Yeah, it's called annoyance. It's not annoyance. It's moody claustrophobia. But if you're into that. Yeah, okay. Um, But, okay, basically it's about a trio of clueless criminals who believe that a local blind man is the perfect prey for a late-night robbery. And very quickly, they come to the realization that they're not the predators after all. They're merely the prey. And just when you think... You know where the story is heading. Well, it gets pretty damn twisted, and trust me, you will be surprised. Well, you know the the beauty of this film, and I, it just, it just makes me laugh. It makes me never ever want to go to Detroit. Sorry for all the Detroit it listeners. Makes me not want to break into people's homes. Um, is that <laughs> or fuck with disabilities? Right. Once Another again, disability person. The vet was a, a blind man that they thought they were going to take advantage of and steal his money, um, but. Um, 
Detroit became a character in the film because right. it was it was set it in does, a actually. burnout neighborhood in Detroit, yes. and these these young, downtrodden, poor white kids, yeah, which you know they 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 took a twist. They gave us poor white kids who were having yeah. to um, experience life that. exactly. Yeah, very Exactly, you got some poor white kids. Poor white kids doing crime. Trying to find out what how to survive in you know in the urban dwelling as Donald Trump loves to talk about. Urban dwelling. This is Donald Trump's America. Because um, nobody white is criminal in Donald uh, Trump's America. Right, but these <laughs> folks were able to uh, try to get around and, and try to get over on this dude, but the tables really got turned on them really fast. And so I think that it's the, what's the beauty of what's happening in the new horror genre is that. We're getting smart horror. It's yes. not your typical blonde chick running through the woods, killer after her, right. da 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 da. Right. We're actually getting people willing to fight back and people thinking about their next steps. Right. And yes, the killer is smarter also, but also the potential victims are smarter. Right. So they're they're coming up with ways to survive themselves. Time for another drinks, Alex. Time for another drink. <laughs> Half of ice Yes. We're having some more beer in the house. And he's got a little, a little vodka going. Yeah, yeah. Nothing like that. But anyway, like I said, the film was good. And, and, you know, once again, I'm not a horror freak, but I like a good thriller. Yeah, you're not and a horror freak. It, it, you really did some horror this year. Yeah, I did a lot of horror this year. And I think that, <laughs> you know, I can appreciate some smart horror because I don't need a slasher in the woods. Yeah, but that's 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 what you're saying is that things have been changing. Yeah, and it's No good. one needs that whole, like, no one needs this whole, like, oh, let me do Saw. Like we were saying before. I liked the first saw. Second saw was okay. I merely wrote it out as an obligation. Right. To like finish the series. And that's just torturous to me because you know I'm like I can't sit through this. But once once again I recommend um, don't breathe because it was just so great. And even when you thought the movie was over, yes. there was still another twist. Super deep twisted. So twist. please, 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 I recommend everybody find it, find it, find it, watch it. So good. I'm hoping there's going to be something else by that director because I feel like he was French or something, and, and that he brought he brought he was, a different take to it. I feel like he was French. I mean, I think <sighs> Don't Breathe had a lot of levels to it. It also was very immersive, which I think, hello, surprise, a horror film has to kind of be. Wait a minute, is it? No. Okay, the <laughs> the directors. No, it's a uh, Fed Al- Alvarez. Okay. Am I pronouncing that right? Fed, Fadid, Fed. Um, but he did other films that we like. Uh, Evil Dead. Okay. You know, Panic Attack. He's done a he's done a few. So this. But is he nice makes film. you feel uncomfortable, and I yeah. think that that's what works for this film. And you you, yeah. I personally was hoping that the, the victim in the film the. The vet that they were trying to rob. Yeah, the blind guy. I actually wanted him to kill all of them and quickly, but he did a good. You know, it, it I built. I did too because you kind of feel bad for him because after a while. they deserve what they got. They did. And then when you got the, when you get the twist at the end, it's like wow, they really flipped it on us because it's like wow, you you were actually going to take advantage of this man who turns out to be much more than you think he is. Much more than you. Because the backstory in the film is is just incredible. I, I recommend that highly. What's your next one? Um, my next one actually. Before I say that, I'll say Stephen Lang, who played the vet, was very good. Well, Stephen Lang is crazy in everything. He's crazy in everything. He's but he was very good. He had levels in this. Always. Because he was, like, really sort of, like, pathetic. You thought, pathetic, sad, disabled, blind vet. Oh, my right. God, I'm so sorry for him. Like, he's, he's shaking with the, the gun. Loss. He's and, grieving the loss of his child. Right. And, there's a and lot then going he, on hears, 
he hears something, next thing you know, he's like the Terminator with like laser accuracy with that gun and right. no eyes. Because disabled <laughs> blind people are magical, just so everybody knows. Oh, I think disabled They're people magical are magical in, in general. Trait. So just after meeting you. Just you know. be prepared. Just magical never, disabled people. Just never know. Um he's <laughs> also in uh he was also in the second season of uh Salem, by the way. WGA. Oh yeah, he plays. Check that out. He plays a pastor. Yeah. Yes, he was he plays very a pastor. good in that. He, he says, was he fucking plays creepy. A good guy very well. He plays a creepy guy really well. Yeah, that's I always him. think he's like two seconds from fucking you or killing you. Right. It's really weird. That's, <laughs> that's really that's, weird. That's it's, pretty much it. Yeah, but I like him. What's your next one? So next one, and and my final one. Um, we may have this the same maybe fences. Yes. 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 Okay. So fences. Why did I choose Fences? Well, there were other films I could have chose. But Fences, to me, struck me, and I'll, I'll tell you why. Basically, what Fences is, is it's basically the, the adaptation of August Wilson's Pulitzer Prize-winning play. Um, and the film is basically a slice of life of African-American. Yeah, so uh, this sort of, like, tightly wound piece by Wilson himself, who, by the way, completed this before he died in 2005. Um, he and Denzel Washington had such a grasp on the character of Troy, who was an ex-league, ex-Negro League ball player. Excuse me. Uh, Troy, who's actually the patriarch of the family, is a, is a man like any family man like anyone else, but he's also a bit of a monster. Um, one that isn't a stranger to uh, people, I think, in African diaspora. But what really got me about Fences? Okay, Fences is a play. Many people saw Fences. Yes. What got me about Fences is it was a slice of life into the life of black Americans in America that I believe just plain old simple suffer from PTSD. Yes, I'm sure other people in other countries who are just as poor suffer from this as well, but I really believe that Black America has learned to, as Troy would say in the film, you know, got to take the crooked with the straights, you know. It's sort of like men, women, and children. It's, for instance, for Troy, it's about settling for sort of like the ride-or-die woman and, and then basically doing what you want in the meantime. You know, whatever feels good to sort of escape the oppression of the world regardless of your commitments. You know, for me, as a woman... I just feel like in this film, and I feel like in life, this was just a slice of life. It's like the women in the film, as in life, it was about settling for the ride or die position and not asking for your respect, sort of like finding peace in religion or your fellow girlfriends who are also in the struggle, who are sort of holding up to this sort of proud bullshit title, if you ask me. Um... Also, you know, accepting it and not asking for any respect in return just drove me insane because I've seen this time and time again, as we all have. Uh, I also felt like the children also sort of absorbed this and faced this sort of debris of life that a relationship like this can create, you know, dealing with the ins and outs of the family, dealing with being part of these like half families and sort of trying to make peace of it. You know, you got half a sister, you got half a brother, but you all are still raised in this family to be together, which is fine, totally. 
coming from personal experience. But, you know, my other thing was I don't want you to think I'm so anti, because I am a little anti, but I'm not anti about this. What, what I wanted to say about this entirely is while this is just a mere slice of life in terms of the African-American experience in America, it is by no means the whole pie. You know, it's, it is merely just a slice that has been very well crafted by Washington and Williams to illuminate experiences, I should say, our experiences in this nation. And I think, just a little side note, high, high marks goes to... Uh, uh, Denzel Washington? Denzel, no, 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 but the brother... Uh, oh, Mikhail Williams. Yes, thank you, Mikhail Williams. I'm just going to mispronounce his name. Williamson. And... Uh, Viola Davis and Denzel Washington for their performances, which they truly brought to life, Troy, Rose, and Gabriel. Well, you know, the interesting thing about it, August Wilson, once of all, outstanding, outstanding Pulitzer Prize winning oh, yeah. playwright. By all means. You know, in, in this film, this film, excuse me, the play, the original the stage original play, play yes. won a Pulitzer back in 83. Yes. But the thing about August Wilson is that he was always able to write characters from an intergenerational period. So you got all aspects of the journey for a family. So you had an older man, a younger man, a woman, a child. You got all experiences in all of his plays. And so they had they had such a wealth of dialogue driven performance. They they could not go wrong with this. No, they cannot so go all wrong. they all the Denzel, Viola and the rest of the cast had to do was you know, that's all they really had to do. And I think that they were able to to bring to life these characters and to bring to life this struggle. And I get where you're coming from as a black woman. Yes. You see her journey. But I also see Troy's journey, the lead character, in the fact that he was he was never able to achieve all the goals that he wanted to achieve. You know, it was almost like a, you know, like Langston Hughes' a Dream Deferred. Yes. He was never happy. He wasn't able to achieve his goals. He wasn't happy. So he had to say, well, okay, well, I can't be this professional ball player because society in America back in the 40s wouldn't allow me to be a professional right. athlete, you know, playing on the same level as the, the my white counterparts. So he was able to, he had to say, okay, well, what else can I do? Mm-hmm. I've got to go get a job at the sanitation department. I've got to take care of my family you know, I have another an older son from another outside relationship. Right. I have my wife, and now we have a, a son together. You know, mm-hmm. we've been together, ride or die, for 16 years, and his life isn't a great one. He had to fight the union to get the job right. to where he wasn't riding on the back of the sanitation truck, but actually driving the truck, which was unheard of back in the day. This story is also set in Pittsburgh, where a lot of August Wilson's Plays Plays are set set, because that was his. That's his landscape, but it really captured that middle America struggle of trying to survive and take care of your families. And yes, he made some awful choices, but it's also because he wanted to find some sense of happiness. And yes, he had. Right. He had his his wife, and she loved him, and he knew she loved him. But he also was looking for something else. And yeah. he found that something else in the form of a mistress, you know, and all of that. But he was always on the search for something. And he never, I don't feel he ever got that. But he was always trying to push that into his sons, which you saw in the play. Yes. And in the movie, because I also saw the play. But 
you know, you got to see that in the, in the, in the film where he only wanted the best for them, but because of his limited one education experience growing up in the South, they depict him growing up in the South. Mm -hmm. So he only knew what he was taught. So unfortunately the landscape was limited in that way. So I, I, I see how you can be, you know, kind of offended and appalled by how he treated his wife. But yes. I think that, sadly, it's part of his experience. And I think, unfortunately, people move through life and, and, and kind of react and live kind of based on what they've been taught. But I think that Denzel did an outstanding job of bringing the play onto the screen. And he kept the scenes and the sets small. So you we were very intimate with your characters. You felt every part of their angst. Right. And... You didn't have to worry about all the insulary things going on around the sets and all this other stuff. It was a very small story in the way it was told. Right. You know, it was it was either in the backyard or in the in the living room of the house or in the right. kitchen. So the it, or porch. in the bedroom or on the porch. So right. they kept it they kept it limited to that. So once again it was an actor's role to just jump into it right. and live it and Congratulations once again to Viola Davis because she yeah, she, she, she lived her part and she yes, lived Denzel her part. deserved his too. She always lives her part, you know, and dripping and, nose and all. And it was she just, lives her life. It was perfect, and you know, <laughs> she is always that woman. You know, as somebody who admires actors, it's it's just great to see them just chew into that and really get oh, into yeah. it. Oh yeah, I mean, yes, I understand the play to men and all that, and I'm not anti men at all. But I am not anti-men at all. Uh -huh. Really, I'm actually pro-men, really, uh -huh. unless it's romantic. But <laughs> but what I will say is I read this article, and I'm so, so sorry that I cannot find it. And um, we're definitely going to put it up. But what I hate is the ride-or-die perspective, you know, Maybe not in this particular story because they were married, but it's that whole a moment of lust winds up becoming a bad decision, which becomes your family, which, oh, but stay true, boo. Stay true. You my ride or die. No, the ride or die perspective is bullshit because she took on a lot of that man's trouble and, in fact, raised his own freaking child. But don't you know everybody wants wants to ride or die chick? Every, yeah, but that every ride man or wants chocolate. that. It's bullshit. Every man wants that. Though. It's bullshit. Ride or die is back of my back. It's a tire mark on my back. That's what ride or die is. Ride or die is. But you gonna say true, right? Well, I'm gonna fuck seven other girls around the street. But you gonna say true? Let me bring a baby. But you gonna say true? Let me do this. It's bullshit. That woman, like she said, Viola said, Rose said, I had dreams too. I had what, 18 years? 17 years? 16 years was 16 the quote. 16 years. Mm -hmm. I've well, been here with you. Well, once again, as you Did know. Did you think I had dreams? As Mary J. Blige and Method Man said, you and know. And where did they end up? Everybody looking for Ride or Die. So, no. you know, and I get, I get the, the negative girls. side of Ride or Die, <laughs> but. The positive side is you get you got a partnership. You know you got somebody who got your back, regardless of what happens. Regardless of what I do. Whether you I know, stick my dick into somebody or I sell some drugs or I get fucked up or oh, I lose my job. Okay. Uh-huh. <laughs> That's what I hate. But about once the again, but once again, you got somebody who got your back. Fuck you. We're looking for Bye. That. I will find someone who's a ride or die for me. 
Just say it. Okay. <laughs> well, maybe Rose made a bad choice. Rose made a bad abortion. choice. But Rose was in the 60s, and they know she had a better choice. She was in the 40s, but 40s? yes. My bad. Sorry. But either way, <laughs> it was a bad choice. But once 40s, again. 60s, same progression. Women still had no choices. <laughs> okay. But I, I mean, listen, don't get me wrong. We're just saying that we love the film. We just identified with different perspectives. And we're fired up about it. A little bit. Apparently. Let me tell you about Well, I mean, my, we're drinking, too. Let so. me tell you about my next one. <laughs> Uh, my next one was Lion. And yes. um, Lion was a very powerful film to me, and it's based on a true story. And uh, it came out, what time of year was that? Oh, that out. was in November. November yeah, it was 25th. Oscar season it came out. It came out in November because, you know, the best movies come out in the fall because it's, it's after, you know, the summer blockbusters and um, getting ready for Oscar nominations and such. Yes. And so Lion was just one of the, just an amazing film, and it was based on a story of a guy who grew up in India in the 80s, and uh, he was a child, he got lost, he got separated from his brother, and he literally was taken away to some orphanage, and they ended up uh, giving him away to an adopted family from Australia, shout out to Australia, and, and all my other friends in New Zealand, <laughs> and, um, and so it was just, you know... <laughs> Little, little we little inside you, joke about Alex, you, Alex, who is really a New Zealander. Our sound guy, Alex, is from uh, <laughs> New Zealand, and, you know, he's, he's <laughs> giving me all the experience on his culture. But I just wanted to <laughs> just say that this film was just, it was just so, it was about, once again, it was coming of age. It was the journey of the character and how he was, he didn't even know he was searching for his family. He's just, he grew up, he was adopted by this Australian family you know, do good or white folks. He was adopted by his Australian family. They just took him, you know, away. And he, he had to leave his country, mm -hmm. go over in Australia and live. He grew up there. But he always knew he had another family. He just didn't know how to connect to him because literally right. he was like five or six, even if not younger, when he was taken away. So he had no idea. He didn't even know his mother's real name. Wow. He just knew what he called her. Wow. So and he didn't really know the name of the town. He was haunted. And so he was literally haunted by his past, and the film kind of depicts that and, and, you know, in his journey to find that part of himself. And it wasn't that he didn't accept who he was now, because even in the film, the character talks about, oh, you know, I'm not from any, I'm, I'm, a, I'm Australian. You mm -hmm. know, he, was, he totally adapted right. his, his new family. Right. But, you know, once he got to meet some other you know, Indian people, he realized, oh, this is the food my mom used to make. Right. Oh, this is some, some things I used to experience as a child. Sort of That's what kind of flashed him back to, well, maybe I need to start looking. And then he started to do the search. Mm. And so the film takes you on this journey, but it's so beautifully written. And Dev Patel from um, Slumdog Millionaire just did an outstanding job at portraying this guy's, his yearning, but yet his trying to appease his family, because he didn't want his adopted family, his adopted parents to think that he didn't love them and he didn't care for them and all right. that he had done for them. But he knew that something was missing from his life. And he knew he had to find his birth mother. So he, we, we go on this journey. The film takes us on this journey of him finding his birth mother. And so I'm not going to tell you how it ends, but, you know... It's it's just an amazing film, and I'm just like, I wish more people would have seen this and more people would talk about it because I know in life 
people are always on this search for something. And mm-hmm. this film kind of exemplifies that search for something. Because it, it was almost like he couldn't be happy until he found that missing piece in himself. And in, in, in the long shots, and the, there was a scene where the boy is just running through a train station at night, and mm-hmm. he's just lost and doesn't know. He's looking oh. for his brother. It's very sad. and and But... But another hero's journey. It's just another hero's journey. At the, at the end of the film, you get they give us a little snapshot of his real the real family and the real guy, right? And you see where they are today, and and all of that. But it it's just one of those films that really stand out in my mind. I'm so glad that I got to see it, and I I, I totally recommend it to to others because I know everybody's talking about La La Land and all this other crap that came out in. Worse. 2016. Didn't even see it. But there's some other films that you need to see. And I, I totally recommend a Lion. A ton. Now you want to talk about my fun movie for 2016? Your fun movie One for 2016? One of the ones you hated. What was your fun movie that Deadpool I hated? Deadpool was fucking amazing. Absolutely Deadpool, hated this Deadpool, movie. Deadpool, Deadpool, I felt Deadpool. like I'd been high off of sugar all day. Oh, my God. And people were telling me bad jokes. The I hated best, this movie. The best, the best <laughs> As Alex clapping in the background. The best superhero movie I have seen in decades. Oh, I hated so, it. So... I mean, the jokes were okay. It totally kicked <laughs> ass of the damn Marvel genre. Oh, all these... Weirdo, you know, want to be heroes, kind of superheroes. Deadpool was an anti-hero. And I Definitely. always loved the like anti-hero. Batman. He don't give a fuck about nobody. He's just doing what he got to do to survive. Yes. He's just like, I'm here. I jerk off every day. I watch porn. <laughs> Definitely. You know, I fuck my girlfriend. <laughs> I'm just doing me. Talk and shit. And in the meantime, I got to save some lives. Talk shit constantly. I love it. I, I just loved it. I can't wait for the next one. I just, I'm so excited. And I, I, I can't, I just, I don't even have enough words to say how excited I am about it. But I think that, you know, the weird part is that, the director from the first one is not going to be a part of the second one. Oh, no? He's not because he and uh, Ryan Reynolds are having some problems because I guess uh, Ryan Reynolds is pr- executive producer or something. Yeah, also he project. is. He is. So I think that that's going to cause some problems. And uh, this was Tim Miller's film. He was a director. Uh-huh. And um, he's a graphic artist. And so and oh, that's it? why the film has such a, a graphic look to it. Right. And from the beginning to the end, from the opening credits to the to the final little nuggets they gave us at the end, right. it, it's... It gave us all of those kind of visual triggers that we're all kind of used to. You know, not only did we get the angst of, because say, for example, it's really Ferris Bueller's Day Off. The entire film was Ferris Bueller's Day Off with a hero, you know, yeah. because he was the same guy. Ferris Bueller was a dick. Everybody knows that anybody yeah. who saw that film back in the day, he was that so dick. A lot of millennials got looked us up right now. He's the, uh, for <laughs> those of you who don't know who Ferris they Bueller is, they have no idea. Check that movie out. But um, <laughs> it's on Netflix, by the way, right now. It's it's an amazing film, and and once again, this character kind of spoke to that even to the end, and uh, I think that I'm glad that Ryan, Ryan Reynolds got to do it because we first met the Deadpool character. In one of those god awful Wolverine movies. Um, <laughs> though Logan was really good, though it's not a part of this. Yeah, podcast we're right not now, talking about Logan. Fuck but Logan. It was actually, too. What? That movie was so good, you didn't even see it. I'm dead. But anyway. No, it's good. <laughs> I'm sure it is good. I'll check it out. <laughs> um, but anyway, back to Deadpool. We, we got to see a little bit of Deadpool in, the, in one of those Wolverine incarnations. Right. And so. I'm so glad that they really fleshed this out. Fleshed it out, gave it some justice. And I'm sorry that 
Tim Miller won't be a part of the new one, but it's coming in uh, 2018. Yeah, the so trailer is at the beginning of Get Out. It's going to be good. Which is what we'll be talking about next week. Right. Um, in addition to Burning Sands. Yes, I'm going to have to sit through which Burning is, Sands. Which is a little, time. it's going to be a little temperamental, a little, little sensitive. Yeah, I, I hate the whole idea cause, of Burning cause, Sands, cause but I'm going to do it. Our, our guy Vaughn is a fellow Greek. Yes, I am. I'm and proud, I uh, am Greek a GDI. Member. A goddamn individual or independent, but I'm going to say individual because I'm not either. But either way, we're going to check him out, and um, I look forward to that. And I want to thank everybody who participated in the podcast today. I think it's fun, and um, I'm looking forward to doing many others. And got to give a special shout-out to our sound guy, Alex. Yes, Alex. Alex Campbell, he did a great job. and um, The Kiwi. Looking looking forward to doing many more. Absolutely. Cheers to all of you guys. Go out and see some movies and uh, talk about the movies. And uh, just to let everybody know, Pompette provided me with some great bourbon today. Some great vodka for Alex. Pompette is uh, my favorite uh, spirits and wine shop. In Harlem. In Harlem, USA. So check it out. And uh, Moselle, one of the owners of Pompette, will be here next week to sit in and talk to us about his Get views out. on Get Out. So I'm very excited to hear about that. Absolutely. I would also like to spend, send a special thanks to the manager, Marco, at... Carolina Brew House. I know I just messed that up, but it's fine. NYC. It's on 265 Bowery. It's an industrial bi-level brew hub that serves beer by the leader and they brew on tap. I've tried it. I tried the head of the taps. They took me in the back. You tried the head? Yeah, I tried. And they took you in the back? Temporarily, I tried the head. With a man led me to try it. That wow. is one rare occasion. That's what but I call a party. Had me stick my hand out. All right. Feel the head. Take a little taste. Sweet. Nice, nice and nutty. Cheers. Right before it uh, ferments. Nice. So smooth. <laughs> First and last time ever. Head goes in my <laughs> mouth. But it led us to drink this beautiful Hefeweizen. So I thank you very much, Marco. You guys were great. Please go down and see them. Once again, 265 Broadway. Oh, and please check out Pompette. 131st and Lennox. Please check it out. It's a great place. Great drinks. Only Top Chef. Thank you again for tuning in. This is beer, bourbon, and a movie. See you next time. See you next time, guys.